Dearest listeners, as I am mindful that many children listen to this podcast with their parents or guardians, please be aware that the following episode contains conversations surrounding gender and sexuality, topics which I believe are very natural and healthy to discuss with children, but topics that nonetheless deserve a parent or guardian's discretion. There's nothing graphic or profane in these conversations, but there's no harm in a heads up. If you are a kid listening to this without your parents, hi! I hope you giggle so wildly today that you snort milk out your nose. But more importantly, go get your parent or guardian and ask them if it's okay for you to listen to this episode. Woo! PSA over. Enjoy the show. Come gather, come gather, friends, close by the fire, and hear of a wondrous tale. Of goblins and elves and miscoated dells, and heroes who strive to prevail. Was the eek of a chipmunk that woke our dear friend as she slept in the woods of Beleth. Her dreams were confusing, but rather amusing, she recalled as she peed by the path. You're listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odd Squad by Leona Cara. Chapter 9 The Sound of a Falling Tree. things as satisfying as a morning pee. I squatted in the dense moss of Beleth doing my business, stretching my arms and yawning, and in the bright light of morning I finally saw where I was. My bed of furs was in a large glade of verdant moss and teensy spring flowers. Birds wove intricate harmonies from the canopy above, and blue bees sniffled in the flowers, though there was no sign of a swarm like I'd seen the day before. A trickling creek tumbled down a slight hill, upon which stood a tippy-toed tree with a green door peeking out from the roots. Apparently I'd been sleeping in someone's yard. I wondered whose house it was, and hoped they didn't step outside and greet the morning air while my pants were still down. The moss of Beleth made for a great pee-wiper. Much more absorbent than the old clothes we tore up and used in Fribbleshire. I took a hearty handful of the green fluff, dried myself, and made to toss the moss away. It was at this point that I noticed Leif watching me from atop the roots of the tippy-toe tree. Leif! What the heck?! How long have you been sitting there? I pulled up my pants and felt my cheeks flush red. A while. What? Why? That's rather rude. Is it? Well, where I come from, yeah. This is a private operation. Well, we aren't where you come from. No. No, I suppose we're not, but still. I went to the bed first to gather my stuff, and Leif hopped down from the roots. They eyed me with curiosity from up on the hill. So, you are a woman. Yeah. All the way. What? Well, yeah, of course I am. <laughs> what a strange question. Leif continued to stare at me, and as I stared back, I realized I didn't know if they were a boy or a girl. They had a pronounced jaw, a gentle nose, strong shoulders, and stunning green eyes, all of which could feature well on a man or a woman. So I, I ventured a question. What are you, then? I am an elf. Oh, no, I, I know, but, like, down there... I gestured to my crotch. Oh, would you like to see? No, 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 no. Leif held their woolen garment where it draped across their thighs, but let their hands drop. I just meant, are are you a girl or a boy? You mean, what parts I have? Glei Ibram. Yeah, like, are you a she or a he? No she, no he. Only they. Only they? What, what is they? I am they. You are they. That tree is they. Well, but, but that tree's not a woman. And I am. 
So? So, that's a big difference. A lot depends on if you're a man or a woman. Why? Stone or pond does not matter. Well, where I come from, it sure does. Heck, part of why I was alley odds was because I didn't live up to the ladylike expectations of my village. But that was just one piece of the puzzle. I looked up at Leif on the hill. I mean, what about having kids, huh? How does that work if everyone's they? Oh, you do not know about sex. What? Y- yes, I do. I could feel my cheeks flush red, and my feet started shuffling against my will. I couldn't speak about it with authority, but yes, I was aware of sex being a thing that other people did with people who were people also, and that sometimes it led to children, and it was a thing, yes. Well, then what is confusing? Nothing. Nothing is confusing. Nope. I've got it. Good. Forget I mentioned it. Oh my goodness, would you look at that? I pointed to a random tree behind Leif and hoped they would just drop the matter. Sex wasn't something we talked about much at home, and Leif was saying a lot of stuff I didn't understand. But Leif didn't fall for my diversion. Nope. They kept walking right down their path of curiosity. Do trinkets not do sex? <laughs> oh, aren't you a little young for this conversation? I am older than you. Huh? So answer. Do trinkets not do sex? No, no, they do. I mean, we do, but it's, you know, a, a thing between a man and a woman who are married. Or, or, or soul-bound, I guess. And, and you know, they... They... They they have sex, and, and that's it, and there we are. It was at this point that Trenia poked her head out from the green door of the tippy-toe tree, and I blushed still further. What on earth are you talking about? This one says Trenketh only sex with person who is soul-bound. True? Not quite. And they think it must be a man and a woman. I didn't say that. Well, whatever you said. I can wait for breakfast. Come on, Iktuin is waiting. Trenia held the door open for Leif, who walked into the house, still shaking their head and laughing. I scurried up the hill and saw an amused smile about Trenia's lips. Now you know what it's like travelling with you. All those questions. Am I that bad? Yes, but it's also endearing. Well, um, funny enough, quick question. <laughs> How old is Leif? Twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thereabouts. Really? Oh, jeez. I put my face in my hands. If Leif sounded young to me... I couldn't imagine how young I sounded to the Nervinga. Don't go fretting. Naivety and stupidity are not the same thing. Come on. Food's waiting. I followed Trenia under the roots of the tippy-toe tree, through the green door, down a few rooty steps, and into a wondrously roomy room. The ceiling was the tree itself, its underside a spiral of writhing timber-thick roots that spun out twenty feet in every direction, like a wooden whirlpool above my head. Thinner roots ran to and fro between the spiraling beams, creating an intricate web that held the soily ceiling like a net. Walls rose up where the root beams turned down into the earth, and the crisscrossing roots did much to make the dwelling look like a cozy little pub. The walls revealed a vast network of interwoven tubes and roots embedded in the soil, as well as teensy thin hair-like strands that connected and contained the dirt like a solid mesh. I wanted to touch it. I wanted to see if glowing tendrils would wrap around my hand like they had morongas the night before. What would that feel like, I wondered. Could I make the wind rise like he had too? But no, no, that that was a bad idea. I was a guest in this house. The last thing I should do is call a gale and wreck the place. Glistening from a dozen spots around the circular room were more of the mushroom-shaped oil lamps, like I'd seen the night before. They burned a bright, clear white, and put off so much light that it practically felt like the sun was shining inside the windowless home. There was a low table with several backless chairs to one end of the room, an alcove adorned with instruments and bookshelves to the other, 
and in between them was a counter with bowls and cups and food. A narrow tunnel led out of the room, and I could see the fluff of bedfords within the open chamber. In the center, where a normal human home might have a fire, there was a circle of stones surrounding what appeared to be a steaming pool of water, not more than three feet wide. Wooden stands rose a few feet up on either side, and were joined by a horizontal rod that spanned the pool like a cooking spit. Hanging above it all, inside the conical hollow that formed the very center of the tree, hung a gleaming fixture that shone like the stars and the moon and the sun all wrapped up in a single illuminating splash. If it was made of glass or metal or oil, I couldn't tell, for the light was far too bright to see what contained it. Trenia and Leif sat down at the table with backless chairs, and I saw another elf bringing several dishes to the table. Hey, it was the same woman a shelf who sang with Algion at the feast. Ah, so it was her yard I'd been sleeping in. Ali, this is Iktuin. She's Leif's mother, and what you would call my aunt. Hi there. It's nice to meet you. Iktuin held out her hands as I approached the table. Recognizing the gesture, I reached out to take them, and allowed myself to stare and be stared at once again. Iktuin's eyes were deep green, like the winter needles of a spruce, and wrinkles like teensy smiles curved out from the corner of each eye. One side of her head was shaved, so her brown hair fell across her left shoulder, and she donned the same type of simple woolen garment that Leif wore. Not quite a dress, but covering the same areas that a dress would cover. It was much briefer than the greeting I'd shared with Leif, but the same knowingness and finger-tingle rushed through me, and I found myself smiling unintentionally like before. Iktuin gave my hands a squeeze, then released them and gestured to the table. Come, come, sit. I took a chair across from her, beside Trenia, and glanced at the food set before me. It was gray and mushy, and looked for all the world like porridge. Porridge with chopped nuts and dried fruit on top. Iktuin caught my quizzical expression and said, Elpa, eat. Elpa? It's a type of root vegetable, said Trenia. Like a potato? Sort of. Just try it. I dug my wooden spoon into the bowl and pulled forth a steaming heap of the gloopy stuff. I sniffed it, and it smelled like earth spice. It tasted not unlike other tubers I'd tried, but there was a tangier, deeper flavor than potatoes or parsnip. Overall, not bad. Trenia, Iktuin, and Leif chatted about something in Nurvangan while we ate. I didn't understand the words they were saying, but I was surprised by how much I could glean from their tone and body language. They were talking about the Huti Thaliam, Trenia's meeting with the tribe. And then I heard another word I recognized. Trangeth! Hey, that meant human. Well, they were talking about me. And from the sound of Trenia's answers, I could tell that my presence, while not wholly unwelcome, was still confusing. Iktuin drilled Trenia for answers, and Leif's smiles and glances let me know Trenia was wading through quite the heap of awkwardness on my behalf. But Iktuin's curiosity was not satisfied by Trenia's replies, and so she turned to me. So, why are you here? Hm? Her forwardness caught me off guard. Um, do you mean, why am I in Beleth, or- Why are you here? How come I have a Trangith sitting with me at breakfast, besides my niece's oddities? Her tone was firm, but not discourteous. She seemed genuinely interested. But as I opened my mouth, I realized I had no idea what to say. Things had really changed since I left home. The story had gone quite off track. Well, I began, I left home for the first time a couple turns ago. I didn't really have a plan, other than- well, what? Other than what? Well, it, it sounds kind of foolish now. Foolish is good. You can learn a lot from fools. I guess so. But I, I wanted to find a group of adventurers, a squad of heroes who could go off and win glory and renown for doing noble deeds. 
The words sounded so silly in my mouth that it surprised me when Iktuin didn't laugh at me. I guess I was used to that growing up. Instead, Iktuin leaned in, her eyes bright and attentive, and waited to hear more. So I continued. Well, I, I wanted to find someone who can fight their way out of anything. Someone who can talk their way out of anything. Someone who can stealth their way out of anything. Someone who can think their way out of anything. And someone who can make anything out of anything. I want to be the fighter, so when I met Trinia and she agreed to train me in sword fighting, I was stoked. But things haven't really gone as planned. I lost my friend Granbauer to some bandits my third day on the road. He's a goat, and I love him. And I'm really scared for him. I don't even know if he's still alive. But Trenia promised to help me find him, and I promise I'll purr find Laurel. I cut myself off, realizing I'd stepped into unwelcome territory. Trenia stiffened, and Leif looked surprised. But Iktuin rested casually in her chair. I hope you find your goat. Thank you. I do too. Actually, there, there's a spot not far from here where these bandits might be hiding, so that's pretty exciting. Their names are Joe and Graham. You've probably heard of them. No. I don't bother much with the outside world. Oh, well, the plan is for me and Trinia to go to their hideout when all this kinright business is settled. Hopefully Granbauer will be there, and then all will be well. At this, Iktuin snapped her gaze over to Trinia. Vekragalathono. Trinia's expression grew strained. She and Iktuin went off on another conversation in Nervangen, and it looked like an uncomfortable chat for them both. Meanwhile, Leif's eyebrows twisted with an impending question. They swallowed their bite of Elpa and asked, What is a goat? You've never seen a goat? No. Is it a friend of yours? Like a human? Or a tree? No, no, no. Grandpa was an animal. Goats are kind of like sheep. What is sheep? Sheep? Well, they're the animal you get your wool from. I gestured to Leif's clothing. This? Well, no, these are not wool. These are Aldaf. String plant. They are everywhere in Belen. What? That's not wool. No wool. Unless from Tringith Town. Clothes are Aldaf. But tell me. What is goat? I struggled to explain goats to Laif, as Trenia and Iktuin's conversation grew more tense. I couldn't tell what they were saying, but frankly I couldn't tell what I was saying either. It's like a cow mixed with a deer that has horns and sideways snake eyes. No, no, that's not right at all. Eventually, Laif got as close to understanding goats as we could get with our limited language pool, and I tried to mimic a goat call for emphasis. <laughs> Leif burst out laughing, and the sound interrupted the serious conversation Trenia was having with Iktuin. Trenia gave a deep sigh and ate in stilted silence. Iktuin looked at me with concerned pity, as if she knew something I didn't, and once more I felt self-conscious of my ignorance. Eventually, Leif's laughter died down, and we all ate in stilted silence. After a few moments of palpable discomfort, Trenia put down her spoon, turned to me, and said, Would you join me for a walk? After cleaning our bowls and thanking Iktuin for the food, Trinia led me out into the woods. Both of us were barefoot, and the path squished softly underfoot. I was delighted to see more of Boleth, of course, but Trinia's tone at the end of breakfast had me worried. She didn't speak as she led the way, and I was left alone to marvel at the glades of gleaming clovers, the hills of golden flowers, and the twitter-cheap tussles of songbirds twirling in midair. After passing by a third roaring waterfall, without Trinia so much as even lifting her head, I stopped in my tracks and said, What's going on? Trenia paused and turned around. What happened at breakfast? Trenia lowered her head and walked towards me until she stood a few feet away on the footpath, just out of reach of the mist spritzing off the rocks. Shafts of sunlight pierced the canopy and sent little rainbows scattering atop the mist of the waterfall. Silver flowers poured forth a scent from their shimmering petals that smelled like kindness, and I kid you not, 
brown little bunnies chased each other through the grass with fluffy white tails as butterflies flutter by it overhead. It was by far the most enchanting, adorable, and magical scene I'd ever seen. And yet, Trinia looked like she was at a funeral. She stared at me, long and true, and I prepared myself for another of our elven mind-meld moments. But instead, she put a hand on my shoulder and said, I promise I'll explain. There's something I want to show you first. Trinia stepped off the footpath and walked to a small pool at the foot of the waterfall. She picked up a fist-sized stone from the water, then continued walking into the woods away from the path. I followed her, struggling to contain all the thoughts that swirled anxiously in my head. But I worked to trust her now, as she had worked to trust me. We crossed a shallow creek, which I guessed led to the nearest of the three waterfalls, then crested a few gentle hills. Soon, we came to the uprooted base of an enormous fallen cedar tree. And there, Trenia stopped. There was a notable crater where the tree had once stood. Its tangle of flattened roots rose some thirty feet in the air, and dirty tendrils of moss dangled from the tree's underbelly like laundry hung out to dry. The trunk was so wide, I could have stood inside of it while standing on Trenia's shoulders, and it stretched for so long that my eyesight grew fuzzy before I could see the end of it. Most incredible of all, the tree was purple. The same dusty purple as the door on the first tippy-toe tree I'd seen. Its pale purple bark grew in thick, vertical strips along the trunk like a shaggy coat, and it seemed gentle somehow, like a sleeping child. And then I remembered that when I first met Trenia at the Stinky Boot, she'd said she was running from the sound of a falling tree. Was this the tree she spoke of? Trenia closed her eyes and pressed a hand to the purple bark. Tears began to trickle down her cheeks. I remember the first time my aunt and Arvin brought me here. I was just a girl, just learning to soul send, and she brought me here to practice. First to find her soul, and then to find this tree's, back and it was tall and strong. I'd been able to send with plants before. I'd even sent with a few of the elves in my tribe, learning how to sense their distinct feel and internal texture. But with an Arvin it was different. Every time I tried to find her soul, I found the tree. And every time I tried to find the tree, I found her. Both of them. In both bodies. I couldn't make sense of it. Then she told me the tree's name is Kedris, and that they were soul-bound, that their souls met by chance when she wandered off the trail three hundred years before, and how after meeting, they never wished to part. I grew to know Kedris as a friend, as well as I knew Aunt and Arvin, and I loved them both as much as I knew how to love anyone in Beleth. Trenia stepped away from the tree and opened her eyes. They were the only ones who approved of my relationship with Laurel. The only ones who met her. The only ones who understood. Last fall, at the demand of our parents, Laurel and I separated. I chose my tribe, my duties, the pride of the Nuevenga. We did not speak or meet. We ended all communication. And it broke my heart, as the poets say. Only in Arvin and Kedra saw what this did to me. How thin I grew. How pale. They feared that I would die. And honestly, I did too. But it was Kedris who died. Trenia walked to the root crater, to a small mound of stones resting in the center, which looked like a grave. It was the deep of winter. Kedris was old. A storm came with raging winds. And Kedris fell. And when they fell, Aunt and Arvin fell too deep into Nergantha, the freezing, overwhelmed by the sudden presence of both souls in her body. 
Trinia knelt down beside the mound of stones, tears still dripping down her cheeks. Eakin often couldn't eat. She couldn't drink. She didn't respond to anyone. Her breath grew faint. She barely blinked. It was horrible. She was like a statue. Alive, but gone. I shuddered, remembering how Trinia had laid death-like in my arms by the apple tree in Agalitha. Had she been in Nergantha too? But one day, before she slipped away entirely, as I sat with her here, beneath Kedrus's roots, her eyes grew bright and she spoke to me. Live your love, Trinia, she said. Live your love. And I knew what I had to do. If my family rejected me, rejected Laurel, then I would reject them. I stole gold from the community stores and ran off to start my life with her. But she wasn't there. No. No, she, she wasn't there. After three years together, seeing each other in secret, she was gone. With no word, no note, not a trace. I thought I was heartbroken before, but you saw me at the stinky boot. You saw how I was. Drunk and running from home. Running from my past. From the guilt of not being here, when the only person who really loved me died. Trinia lifted the stone she'd picked up by the waterfall slammed it down on top of the mound in unbridled grief and wept into her hands. I knelt down beside her. She slumped into my arms, and I held her as she cried. Her shoulders lurched with each heaving sob, and I found myself tearing up. I had only cried this hard once in my own life, back when I was eight, back when my father died. It seemed like nothing could help back then, that nothing could plug the holes his death had punched through my heart. But in that time, when no food, no drink, no joke, no hug could quell the pain, there was a song I sang. It didn't fix anything, but it did help. And so, I sang it for Trenia as her tears fell like rain. I remember the times we've shared. I remember, I remember, I remember the times of past. I remember, I remember. The sight of the trees, the patter of rain, the scent of the leaves on a fall day. I remember the times we've shared. I remember, I remember, I remember the times of past. I remember, I remember the trickling creek. The flowing river, the grass coming in, and the rain coming down, and the rain coming down, and the rain coming down, and the rain coming down. The song soothed Trenia, and soon her stilted sobs calmed into gentle breaths. She rose up out of my arms to sit beside me, and I fought back a smile when she wiped away a stream of tears and snot with her sleeve. Turns out elves cry just like humans. She sniffled and snuffled and kept her eyes on the stone mound that covered in Arvin's body. I brought you here because I wanted you to know the full story. You're my friend, and you deserve the truth. The Huti Thaliam will bring forth a lot of things for me to consider, and I want to be honest. It may mean I can't help you in your search for Granbauer. My heart sank like a stone and punched my stomach. What? I want to. I really do. I know how much he means to you, and I want you to find him. 
but if I leave my tribe again, there won't be another chance of coming back, and I don't know if I'm ready to commit to that. I didn't know what to say. The only thought worse than not finding Granbower was losing Trenia too. She was my sword trainer. She was my travel buddy. She was my friend. I felt tears swarming in my eyes. But why would you want to come back if they don't accept you for who you are? I'd assume she'd only come back because she wanted to sue for disavowal, so she could leave her tribe for good. It's not perfect here, I know. But it's my home, and my family. We don't see eye to eye on everything, but what family does? Is it worth throwing everything away over a few misunderstandings? But they're big misunderstandings! What about Laurel? Are you going to stop looking for her? Theron might be right. It might be time to move on. No! Jerks like Theron should never be right! My grumbles brought a smile to Trenia's otherwise pained expression. So, we're not going to travel together anymore? I don't know. What about sword training? And soul sending? I don't know. Like I said, there's a lot for me to consider. But no matter what, I want you to know that I care for you very much, Ellie. You've pulled me back from the darkest place in my life, and for that, I will be ever in your debt. Well, now it was my turn to cry. Though I'd only known Trenia for a few weeks, those few weeks had been very intimate and intense. She'd become my closest friend outside of Granbower, and this conversation felt like the beginning of an unwanted end. As I wept, Trenia threw an arm around my shoulder and sang, And the rain coming down, and the rain coming down. Trenia and I walked back to the Nevanga, and for the first time ever, I was the silent one. She told me more about the Huti Thaliam, and how part of the process entailed she would be kept in isolation following the trial, in order to have space to reflect and decide upon her choices. It could be one day, it could be five. Most likely it would be three, but it was all at the tribe's discretion. This sunk my heart still further, until it settled like a stone in my belly. For much of the walk, I was angry at her. What was I going to do for the next several days? Just sit around and wait for her to make up her mind? I lagged behind so I could fume without her watching. Why would she have brought me all the way to Beleth if she didn't know what she was doing? Why didn't she tell me that her feelings about leaving had started to change? But then I remembered it was at my insistence that we came at all. And I couldn't fault her for not knowing what to do. Trenia was having her own wedgie of the soul. It was a big one and it wasn't my place to tell her how to pick it. We got back to the village around midday, and headed to the Lothro Inn, where most of the village had gathered for community lunch. Sunlight trickled in from the flicker-green leaves, giving it an air of warmth and playfulness to the living shelter. The glass orbs which had filled the hall with rainbow light the previous night hung unlit, and looked rather like soap bubbles that had floated up and gotten stuck in the branches. I piled mysterious food on a wooden plate, and was grateful when none of the pointy-eared elves surrounding the banquet table seemed to notice my existence. Trenia's mother, Corathel, even made the distinct point of talking to someone that stood behind me, as if I truly wasn't there. But I was okay with her talking through me rather than to me. Any words she had for me, I did not want to hear. Leif, my only other friend among the Nervanga, was nowhere to be seen. So I sat by myself on one of the root benches and watched as elves of all ages greeted Trenia, and spoke in words I couldn't understand. Several times she made to walk in my direction, but with every step, some new elf popped into her path, and began more inquiries. I sat hunched over in my seat, and poked at the yellow pea-like things on my plate. In my heart of hearts, 
I knew I should prepare myself to say goodbye. My sulking was interrupted when an elf sat down beside me on the bench. I shrank when I noticed who it was. What do you want, Theron? As if I wasn't grumpy enough. He leaned back against the tree and stretched his arms out in a casual pose. Just making sure our newest guest is enjoying their time in Beleth. It's lovely. I hadn't forgotten that he'd voted against me staying with the Nervanga. I'm having a blast. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Wouldn't want to disappoint the tourists now, would we? He looked over to Trenia, who now held an elfling in her arms, and chatted with two elves I guessed were the parents. She looks so happy here, doesn't she? Right at home with her friends and family. Right where she should be. I had to admit, other than her outlander clothing, Trenia did look quite at home. Most of the elves that spoke with her seemed genuinely glad to see her. Several of them hugged her and held her hands. Only a few spoke words that made Trenia lower her head or turn away, but they were the minority. Without me beside her, Trenia certainly seemed nestled in the love of her community. My heart sank again, until I could have sworn I was sitting on it. Oh, don't look so glum. This is why you came here, isn't it? To see the mythical elves from your storybooks. To bring Trinia back to her tribe. You've done a wonderful thing. Which is saying something for a Trangith like you. I don't know. I'm starting to wish we hadn't come. Oh, is it the food? I see you aren't much of one for locust eyes. Theron looked at my plate where I was scooting around the yellow peas, and I had a sudden urge to vomit. He saw me bulk and did his best to conceal a victorious smile. He came forward in his seat to whisper in my ear. Your guest rights grant you seven nights in Beleth. You need not take all of them. After flashing a suggestive smile, Theron rose and walked away. I watched as he passed Trenia, who, seeing the smugness on Theron's face, immediately scanned the hall for me. My expression must have shown how gloomy I felt because Trenia broke herself away from the mass of inquisitive elves, shot a blistering look at Theron, and walked over to my bench. The elves she'd left behind all shook their heads at me and whispered under breath. Trenia took a seat on my bench. What did he say? Oh, you know, his usual charming vitriol. Ali, it's nothing. I'm, I'm fine. I really didn't want to talk to her right now. I really didn't want to talk to anyone. I saw your face when he walked away. What did he tell you? For a moment, I didn't answer. I was feeling very tender, and her prodding wasn't helping. But the protective look on her face was so sincere, it made me want to express this inner tenderness. Only, I didn't know how. I was overwhelmed by the morning's conversations and couldn't summon any words. I rose from the bench and was surprised to see I hadn't been sitting on my heart after all. I spoke to Trenia without looking. I think I'm going to go take a nap. And then I walked away. Allie! I avoided the stares I got as I walked washed my dish, and returned to my bed of furs outside Iktween's house. I wanted a break. A pause. A nope for a moment, until I knew what to do with all my racing thoughts. Trinia, Theron, the tree, her aunt, the meeting, my feelings, Granbauer. God, I wanted to numb it out. To forget it all for the space of a dream. I laid down, closed my eyes, and tried to fall asleep. But it seemed sleep had an appointment with someone else that afternoon, because the only thing I got for my tossing and turning was a mouthful of fur. I gave up, and pulled out the book Bertram had given me for a distraction, The Tales of Galena the Great. I'd been thumbing through it here and there, but my own adventures had left me with little energy for the trials of someone else. It took me a minute to remember where I'd left off, a page with a colorful illustration of Galena the Great challenging a three-headed sea monster from the bow of a ship. 
The mighty beast roared like the sea. Its slippery black tail rose from water and struck the mainmast, splintering the wood so that the sails and yards toppled and crashed into the sea and carried with them several sailors to meet their doom. But Galena the Great stood defiant. She climbed upon the head rig and raised her sword in challenge. The three monstrous heads moved as one and dashed Galena into the sea. But from the deep she slashed and hewed at the beast until the water ran red, until the steaming poison of its blood boiled in a putrid froth, and the three biting heads sank down into their tomb. I closed the book. All it did was remind me of why I had left home to begin with. I wanted to do these things. I wanted to be the hero children read about, the warrior that saved the day. I'd left home to become that person, to find my squad, and, and what was I doing? Lying in someone's yard and failing to conquer nap time. I could do better than this. I had to do better than this. I thought about what Theron said. Maybe I should leave. I wouldn't be of use to anyone sitting around Beleth for the next few days, and without Trenia or even Leif available to guide me, it would be dangerous for me to wander through the woods on my own. I would be confined to my furs and squishy moss and... That sounded neither fun nor heroic. It somewhat defied my own logic to think of leaving the magical woods I'd dreamt about for so long, but no matter how beautiful a place is, it's not pleasant to be there when you aren't welcome, and I clearly was not welcome in Boleth. But what would I do? Where would I go? I had no friends to visit, no errands to run. <gasps> of course! Granbauer! I pulled out half his map. Joe and Graham's nearest hideout wasn't very far from where we were. It was outside the village of Harrowdelf, which was just a few miles north of Boleth, and I figured I could at least stay there and gather intel about the hideout until the Hutithaliam was over. Then, if, if Trenia decided to leave her tribe and come with me, like I hoped she would, I'd already have all the information we needed to bust into the hideout and kick some butt, hero style. And if she decided to stay, well then I would have already proved that I'd be able to get on without her. In the late afternoon, as I was repacking my rucksack, and as the twinkling light of Beleth grew gold-orange, Trenia came to my little camp. She approached cautiously, and took a seat on the hill. Hello. Hi. She sat in silence, and watched as I stuffed various odds and ends into my pack. I was still feeling really vulnerable. My heart still felt heavy, and I noticed myself prickling at the idea of getting into another deep conversation with her. What are you packing for? I'm going to take a little trip. What? Just for a few days. While you're busy with a hooty thaliam. You won't even notice I'm gone. What? Why? You're welcome to stay here during that time. Yeah, but I'm not. Not really. Honestly, I, I don't know why your tribe even allowed me to stay here in the first place. Because there are enough of us who still value the custom of guest rights. Ali, you are safe and welcome here. You've been given every protection we can possibly give. And I'm grateful for that. I reached up to feel the spot on my forehead that had glowed with Moranga's blessing the night before, then let my hand fall. But get real, Trenia. We both know I shouldn't be here. I spent most of my life living in a place I wasn't wanted. I don't need to spend any more. So where are you going? I'm going to go check out Joe and Graham's hideout. At this, Trenia leapt to her feet and came towards me. By yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's either sit here for three days and do nothing, or leave for three days and do something. No, you, you can't do that. What I can or can't do is not your problem. No, no, that's that's not what I meant. It's just, it's reckless. You have no idea what could be there, how dangerous it might be. I'll be careful. No, no, this isn't something you should do alone. Well, it looks like I'm going to be on my own pretty soon anyway. Why not get used to it? Trenia ate whatever words she was about to say, 
and we glared at each other in silence. She looked scared and confused, and hurt and worried and angry and sad and tired, and it, it felt good to see that she was hurting too, to see pain stretched across her brow. I wanted to know our friendship really meant something, and her pain served as proof. It also made me feel like a jerk. I was scared and confused and hurt, worried, angry, sad, and tired too. They were all valid feelings, and they all deserved to be felt. But like Mum once said, it isn't fair to hurt other people with your anger. Feelings shouldn't be used as weapons. And that's exactly what I had done. I had taken my heavy heart and chucked it at Trenia, and all it did was hurt us both even more. Trenia lowered her head and walked back to the hill to sit down. She put her elbows to her knees and put her head to her hands and sat with her own heavy heart in the moss. I shuffled my feet for a moment and then went over to sit beside her. We watched two dragonflies swiver swoop swing over the moss for a while, dancing in a flurry of arcs and zips that were so fast it was hard to follow. They landed on a stalk of shimmering foxgloves, and without them to distract us, I was forced to face the tension. I'm sorry. I really thought we were coming here so you could make your disavowal, and hearing you today really freaked me out. I don't like the thought of having to say goodbye to you, Trenia. I don't like it at all. I don't either, Allie. I'm sorry we're in this mess. Yeah, and I think what's really frustrating me is that it feels like I don't get a say. I have to roll with whatever you decide to do, whatever the tribe thinks, whatever happens to happen. It's like everyone else gets to choose my fate for me, and, and that doesn't sit well. So I guess I just want to make a choice for myself. I want to make this choice for me. But Ali, it's Joe and Graham. What if they're there? You can't take them on by yourself. No. No, I can't. So, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go there and scope out the joint. See if there are guards, talk to people in town, find out what I can. No big moves, nothing crazy. Then, when your hooty thaliam is over, if you choose your tribe, well, we can at least talk about what I found and you can give me some advice. But if you choose to leave and come with me, then we can go in there and kick Joe and Graham's butts together, like we planned. From the look on Trenia's face, I could tell she was still against it. It was dangerous, and it was a little reckless. But she seemed to understand why it was important for me to make a choice, even if she didn't agree with it. She picked up a bit of moss and picked at it with her fingers. Do you know what Trangith means? Human, right? Literally in Norvangan, it means hot blood. It used to be because humans burn through their lives at a faster pace than elves, like a candle with a larger flame. But now Trangith is used as an insult, that your wrath comes quick to boil, and you make all manner of decisions without thinking. She let the moss fall from her hands and turned to meet my eyes. If you have truly thought through this, if you really are set on it, then I will not stand in your way. I felt tears coming to my eyes again, and I noticed Trenia's eyes were a tidbit misty, too. Thank you. I'll leave in the morning, before the Hooty Thaliam. Would you be willing to walk me out? Of course. Thank you. Um, in the meantime, would you, uh, wanna... I don't know. I got up from the hill and went to my rucksack. I picked up our two wooden practice swords and held them out. Would you want a duel? Trenia smiled and rose to her feet. That I would, Allie. That I would. She took a sword, and I took a sword, and beneath the shimmering bark of the twilight trunks, 
We clicked and clacked and clanged. Ow! Thanks for listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odds Squad. I'm Leona Cara, and today I'd like to thank my friend and fellow wild choir woman, Erica Millage. She allowed me to use her song, I Remember, in this episode, which very much inspired the writing of Trenia and Ali's moment with Ikan Arvin and Kedris. I am so grateful she let me include it, and I hope you are too. Also, I am slowly bringing myself into the world of social media. I promise it will be family-friendly for those of you willing to witness me experiment with the interweb. Check it out at Leona Cara on Instagram. We'll see how it goes. Have a magical day, my friend, and I'll see you around the fire for Chapter 10, The Lair of Joe and Graham. Thank you.